This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi, everyone. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in the digital universe. I'm glad to have you here for a while. Hard to believe, though, we are halfway through September. The summer just whizzed by. And while I know we're not done with warm, even hot temperatures in Northern California, this morning was the first time I actually wore a sweater to work. Felt so nice outside. So fall is coming. Now, speaking of my day job, going to work, or my early morning job, it was payday last Friday, and for the first time in a year and a half, someone else put money in my bank account. It was a wonderful feeling, of course, but also I just kind of silently acknowledged that it was the first time in over a year that I, for the last 18 months previous to that, was putting money into my own account from my own business. Now, those of you who have owned your own business or currently own your own business probably understand what I'm talking about. Even as I'm like digging into my new position at KFBK and just enjoying the hell out of it, I'm still running my content studio, still working with clients and hiring amazing creatives on projects that inspire and stretch me. And that feels good too, to be able to hire other people for work as well. I never imagined that I'd be doing this right now in my life, but as I look back, I also can see how uh, I kind of was the architect of it as well. And so today we're gonna talk about transformation and making those pivots and those transformations in your own life and how sometimes I think it was Bill Gates who said that you uh, usually can't connect the dots except backward to see kind of the steps you took to get where you are. But I think that we all have those gut feelings at certain times in our life when we're like, okay, this feels right. I'm going to say yes to this. I'm going to turn toward this and do more of what I like. I'm going to do that. And, and that's what this guest is all about. Um, he is, his name is Remy Adeleke, and I first met Remy last May. We were at an event in Roseville for the police and fire department. It was an award ceremony, and he was the guest speaker. He'd been working on a book called Transformed, and you want to talk about someone who has transformed and reinvented himself over and over again. I think he's had as many iterations as Madonna. He went from an upper-class lifestyle in Nigeria to the Bronx as a teenager, uh, got involved with the wrong crowd. He was dealing drugs. He was, uh, you know, making a very good illegal living. Um, something happened he'll talk about and he actually turned toward the military and he went into the navy but it wasn't uh, okay just to be in the navy he wanted to be a navy seal and again he'll talk about why and what inspired him but then he went to hollywood and uh, he had a bunch of events that happened to him that led him to acting and now he's an actor he's been in a few movies transformers is probably the movie that you will remember him most from he's a, just a good man and a great storyteller so you're gonna love him Remy Adeleke. But first, let me tell you about New Age Aerial. I had the chance to go out and fly drones with these guys a few weeks ago. They are FAA approved, which you have to be to get the kind of licenses and clearances that they get. Uh, and I just, I can't believe the gorgeous shots we were able to get. They are really artists in the sky. We were out getting footage of area bridges and uh, just amazing shots of them coming up over the bridge and the reflection off the river, gorgeous. But even more than that, they are also so skilled that government agencies use them to check out 
uh, hard to get to structures. They can be guided by an engineer on the ground to get exactly the video or pictures needed to assess a dam or a bridge or a building so that problems can be identified and fixed. From real estate to government work, heck, they've even done movies. Call the guys from New Age Aerial. If you have aerial drone needs, ask for Dave or ask for Fred. Tell them you heard about them on A Fresh Agenda. Now my conversation with Remy Adeleke. Um, I've already introduced you, so people know that you are a former Navy SEAL, but they don't know your story, and, and it was so compelling when I met you a few weeks ago. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start um, in Nigeria. Tell me what happened to you as a, as a young man in Nigeria that kind of sent your family into a tailspin for a while. Yeah, so my dad, he was a, a well-known Nigerian engineer as well as a businessman, and uh, uh, the Nigerian uh, government, uh, there's been a lot of corruption in the government for for a long period of time, even to this day. And so, long story short, they ended up stripping my father of, of one of his most priced, uh, his most expensive assets, which was this island now known as Banana Island. And my dad had invested millions of dollars in this project. And the government just decided one day, hey, uh, the federal government gave this to you, and the Lego state government is uh, has control over it, so it's not yours anymore. Um, and uh, within days of that happening, my dad died. So we went from rich, um, my father was a multimillionaire, to, to poor the next day. And uh, my mom, being a strong woman as she is, permanently said, uh, well, she said, I'm not going to raise my kids here in Nigeria. And she was American, so she permanently relocated my brother and I to the United States, and I grew up in the Bronx. So, and, and your time in the Bronx was uh, was mixed. I mean, there must have been so much confusion as a little kid. You're all of a sudden your dad's gone, and all of the nannies and and the the life you had enjoyed is gone, and you're you're here in a, a strange country. Yeah, well, you know, it it wasn't strange for me because we we had traveled back and forth between well, we traveled all over the world, but we had traveled back and forth between the United States and Nigeria uh, quite frequently. Uh, and and my mom and my grandmother, I would say, as well as my aunt Doki, they did a good job of hiding a lot of what was going on from me so that it wouldn't affect me and my brother. As a matter of fact, I didn't realize my father was dead until I was about eight years old. It didn't hit me until I was eight. My father died in 1987 when I was five. And I think part of the, part of the reason is because my father traveled so much um, when I was small that you know, I, he was always kind of gone, you know, but he would always pop back up. So in my mind, I expected him to just pop back up at some point, but he never did. And, and it was a, and, uh, when I was eight that I finally realized that. Talk to me a little bit about some of the, the trouble that you got into when you were a kid. So you're growing up in the Bronx and, and, and what made you, I mean, why didn't you just continue on with school and go off to college from there? What, what kind of made you take a turn? Yeah. You know, being a young, young man in the inner city, uh, I didn't have a father or a, a, a strong, consistent, positive male role model in my life to point me in the right direction. And so, uh, when I would see guys hustling, I wanted to hustle. When I would hear about it in music or or through music videos, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Because essentially, you know, hip-hop, hip-hop culture and street culture became my father's. And uh, I felt like I could relate to it. So um, I started out stealing from my mom, and that progressed to uh, stealing from stores, and that progressed to stealing um from jobs that I worked at and then that progressed to selling drugs and ultimately that progressed to running scams. And so, and by the time I was 19, I had a record company that I, I was fully funding with illegal money. Um, 
So yeah, we had some pretty swift. Wow. And, but something happened. Um, I remember you talking about this. Something happened to you as all this, um, this illegal money was coming in and, and, and you were getting wealthy off uh, the, this criminal activity. Uh, what happened to you to kind of take yeah. all that away and turn your, turn your life around? Yeah. One night, one, oh, I got involved in a deal with the wrong person at the wrong time. And uh, uh, I got involved with a deal with a drug dealer went really, really bad. And I ended up owing him a lot of money. And he essentially came to my house and threatened me in my mom's apartment and said, if you don't have my money by this time, things are not going to go too well for you. And I knew what that meant, um, you know, growing up in, in, in the inner city and knowing this guy's background. I knew that that meant that he was going to probably kill me by then get him what he was supposed to get. And so uh, I went out and made him his money the next day, paid him back. And then I kind of gave up the street life for, for six months and just sat home. and didn't do much of anything. And then uh, one day in, in June of 2002, I was laying in my bed and I just heard this voice speak to me at that time. I thought it was my subconscious, but in retrospect, I truly believe that it was the voice of God. And that voice said to me, Remy, you need to get out of here. You need to leave this place and uh, you need to join the military. And I remember just arguing um, with this voice, with, with my mind, whatever it is that, that people want to call it and, and just saying, no, I'm not going to join the military. Cause to me, anyone in the uniform, I associated anybody in the uniform with, with the, with the police. And at that time, you know, I, I had a great disinclination for the police and for authorities, especially what I had seen uh, with Rodney King and other things that I'd seen uh, in, in New York growing up. And, and, and so I didn't want to be a part of the military. But after a, after a short period of time of arguing back and forth, I came to the realization, what else do you have left? I mean, you, I mean you've been sitting here for six months. You have nothing left. What are you going to do? Keep going back into the streets and you know, end up dead on prison. So I said, you know, Roger that. Let me just go ahead and give it a shot and see what happens. And so I walked down the street I grew up on, which was Fordham Road, and then I walked into the uh, Marine recruiter's office first, but there was no one there. And then I, I made my way into the Navy recruiter's office, and then I ended up in the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> and when, okay, there's going into the Navy, and then there's going into the SEALs. So how, yeah. how did that happen? How did you decide, okay, it, I, I don't just want to be in the Navy. I want to be like the tip of the spear in the Navy. Yeah. Well, years earlier, before I joined my mom, she would take my brother and I to movies all the time. And, uh, you know, what she could afford to probably like about once a month. And it was like a way for us to get away and get out and, you know, just check out mentally from, from the life that we were living. And I remember uh, one year in 95, she took my brother and I to go see a movie by the name of Bad Boys. And that was the first time I saw two African-American men who looked like me, who had the same demeanor as I had. And they weren't playing thugs or drug dealers or gangsters, but they were playing heroes. So that kind of planted a seed within my mind. And then a year later, a second film by the name of The Rock came out, which was directed by the same director of of Bad Boys, Michael Bay. And um, that was the first time I was exposed to Navy SEALs. So um, after I saw that film, I was like, man, if I ever turn my life around, that's what I would do. It was a far-fetched idea, and obviously it kind of dissipated as time went on. But when I went into the Navy, you know, that dream kind of reemerged. And I said, you know, I'm joining the Navy. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Uh, And then when I got to boot camp, a SEAL came, and he he put on a presentation of what the guys in the community do. And I was just like, I am 100% sold. I'm going to do this job. So that's kind of how I I made the decision. (laughs) How did you prepare yourself for Buzz? I, I, and I told you this at the at the dinner that we met. Uh, I have a relative who is a Navy SEAL, and I mean, he worked out for you know a year or two with someone before he went into Buds. Um, what what did you do to prep? 
I just, you know, I just made stuff up. I mean, I didn't have anyone to show me how to work out. So I would, I remember walking to the gym and just, uh, the, the gym was always empty too. Cause I was stationed at Naval hospital camp Pendleton. That was my first duty station. And so a lot of Navy people don't tend to use the gym that much, especially those who work in the hospital. So I would often have the gym to myself and I, and I, and I walk, I, I remember walking in there and just looking at the pull-up bar and figuring, Hey, I'm going to do a bunch of pull-ups looking at, at the bench and say, Hey, I'm a bench. And, and I had watched the Bud two, three, four documentary um, before that. So I figured, you know what, let me, I just need to keep moving. You know, some the, the big lesson that I got from watching that documentary was the importance of um, of circuit training, not stopping um, because in, in buds you don't stop, you just keep going, going, going. So I created all of these different workouts, and then I didn't have a car and I couldn't swim, so I would just run three miles to the pool, jump in the pool, and 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 over time I humbled myself and asked the lifeguard to talk me through, you know, the, the stroke and then the kick and all of these different things. And, and they talked me through it. And, and that's how I gradually learned how to swim. Um, so yeah, it was just, it just took a lot of hard work. It took me making the decision that this is what I wanted. No one's going to give it to me. No one's going to help me. So if I want it, I need to do the work that needs to be done in order for me to get it. And I figured out a way when there was no way. And that's essentially how I got in. Uh, that that part amazes me because there are are people who are Olympic swimmers who can't make it through buds. I mean, they are they have been swimming their entire lives. So this was something new that you learned. And then, were a, what was the hardest part of getting through buds for you? Uh, the the swims at first because we had to do two mile time ocean swims, and uh, like you said, I was brand new to swimming, and um, and I don't have that much body fat, so. And the Pacific Ocean is really, really cold, especially in the wintertime. So um, towards the end of every swim, I would be close to hypothermia. And and then I had just learned the stroke, so I was struggling to make the times. Um, but then, you know, eventually as time passed, and I eventually, you know, got the stroke down, so that wasn't too much of a problem for me. But the biggest issue for me at the always I never got over was the cold because uh, they use cold water to really torture you. I mean, they lay you down in the – Pacific Ocean, strip you down to your underwears and just wait there until guys start quitting. And um, and like I said, I, I, I had I was either hypothermic or near hypothermia during every cold water evolution. My lowest core temperature at one point was 88.7 degrees. They pulled me out because they were like, this guy, something wrong with him. And they took a, 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 a temp and, and my core temperature was 88.7. And they had to rush me to the bus clinic. So the cold for me was something that really, really um, was the hardest thing. And it, it was it's the hardest thing for a lot of guys because a lot of guys who show up, they can do push-ups and run and do all of these different things. But what gets them you know, are two things, the mind games and, and just the cold because there's nothing you could do to prepare for that. There's not no amount of push-ups, no amount of swimming, no amount of runs that you could do to prepare to sit in ice cold water. And you, for how about, you don't even know how long you're going to sit there for, right? Because the instructor's not going to tell you. Um, so, yeah. I can't imagine uh, the feeling you must have had on graduation day when it was over, and uh, yeah. uh, that that just must have been incredible. I mean, did you did you reflect on it much that day, or were you just excited to be done? I was just ready to get to work. <laughs> like yeah, that, that's how I was. It was like you know, boss is over. I suck. Yeah, but it's time to get to work, and and, and you know. It's, the ultimate goal for every guy in Buzz is not to make it through Buzz. The ultimate goal is to, to get to a SEAL team and, and do the job that SEALs do. So um, that that was my mindset when I graduated. 
So um, how uh, how many missions did you go on? Where I mean, I don't know what you can tell me about where you went and, and what's still secret. But I mean, did you do you did a few missions? How long were you in? Yeah, I, I deployed. I did uh, my time in the Navy. I did a total of three deployments. Um, um, yeah, when you know, had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after the Navy SEALs, um, okay, so so here's another jump. So this this whole show is about innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and you like click off every one of these these topics here. So let's yeah. talk about how you got to Hollywood because uh, you know to go. Uh, to go from Nigeria to, you know, gang life in New York and then U.S. Navy SEALs and then to Hollywood. You've, like, conquered yeah. them all. So tell me how you got there. Yeah, um, that's uh, – it's funny because I, I tell people all the time I didn't try to get to Hollywood. Hollywood tried to get to my life. And I say that because in 2013 there was a woman who worked for Michael Bay. And since, since The Rock, uh, the film that inspired me to be a seal, she worked with him since 1996. And uh, her, her husband is a former seal, so uh, they do consulting on all of Michael Bay's films and on a lot of Jerry Bruckheimer's projects and TV shows. So she reached out to me and said, hey, I'm looking for African-Americans, former seal, to just do a small little part in, in this TV show called The Last Ship. And... Uh, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Acting's not my thing. I don't want to do it. And then finally, you know, she convinced me to do it. And I did one day of filming and I hated it. And then uh, a few weeks later, a lady at my church found out that I did one day of filming as an extra, by the way, on a TV show. And she got the bright idea that I needed to audition for a play. And again, I fought her for three weeks and said, absolutely not. I'm not going to audition. But then eventually I capitulated audition and I got the part in this play at the Like a Theater in San Diego, which is a pretty uh pretty reputable uh theater here in san diego and so after the after the the, the run at the the play ended um i decided again there's no way i'm acting ever again and then a year later um the same woman who hit me up initially for the last ship contacted me again for this national commercial i told her no i'm not doing acting anymore leave me alone and then uh, a year after that, which was in 2016, she reached out to me again and said, hey, Michael Bay starting the new Transformers. He's looking for somebody with your look. Would you be interested? And I said, I was in grad school at the time. I wasn't doing much work. I wasn't, I was, I wasn't speaking as much as I do now. And so I said, hey, sure, I haven't got anything going on. And then she told me it was just one day. So I was like, if it's one day, get to hang with Michael Bay, the guy who inspired me to be a seal, sure, why not? And so um, that one day actually ended up turning into four months. And, uh, yeah, that's, that was kind of how I got into to Hollywood and doors just started opening after that. Um, I was booked for a national commercial. I didn't have to audition for, I was booked for another national commercial and, and then I got an endorsement deal with Jockey and then, you know, I got offered a book deal with Harper Collins and just all of these doors just started opening after the film. So, yeah. So did you eventually like act? I mean, it sounds like eventually you, you like it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It was, um, you know, I, I, I started to really like it probably halfway through Transformers filming, but then I had to be realistic with myself um, because I have a wife and two kids. I had I at the time still do. And, uh, and I didn't feel like I had the latitude to drop everything, move to Hollywood to try and be an actor. <laughs> you know, like, right, I'm, right. I'm 33, I'm 33, and it's just like, I can't just switch careers like that. I can't make the drive up to L.A. every day. And then I had a talk with a very, um, with, a, with, with a family member, with a family that's, that's very influential in Hollywood. And 
and this this person in the family essentially said, Remy, you know how many people would die for the opportunity that you had? You know, people have sold, sold their soul and get what you have, and you have it, you know, and they, they didn't get anything out of it. You need to keep pursuing this uh, because this is a huge opportunity. And so I, I started to really take a hold of his words, and then uh, I, I went started going to an acting school. Uh, and, and a few months later, and that's where I really began to learn the art, the craft, the science, the theory behind acting. Uh, and then I and then I got accepted into the Lee Strasberg Institute, which is a well-known Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, a bunch of great actors who trained it. And when I got accepted there, that's when I really learned even more so about the art of acting and how acting is a form of storytelling and how acting can be used to inspire change. And as I began to learn through my teachers at, at the Strasbourg Institute, that's when I fell in love with it. That's when I was like, okay, this is a, a great tool that I can use to really inspire a lot of people. And, and I, that's when I took it seriously. It's interesting because as you're going through your life and, and talking about these different um, circumstances, it, it, the thread that seems to run through it all is your um, need to inspire others or inspire yourself. And I, I look, took a look at your education, too, and your master's degree and your undergraduate have to do with leadership and, and, uh, and inspiring other people. What is, what is it about that that drives you? Um, wow. I mean, that's a big question. I just like this. So over, my, over the course of my life, and I talk about this in a book, there were people that came into my life that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And because of what they saw in me, they decided to take a risk on me. And whether it was my recruiter who snuck me into the Navy because I had two warrants out for my arrest, whether it was a, uh, a lieutenant colonel who would see me running three miles to the pool and decided, you know what, I'm going to take this kid under my wing and so that he doesn't have to rely on the lifeguards and teach him how to swim, you know, and I think the list goes on and on and on and on. And in the book, when it comes out, you'll see this thread of these people that these heroes, I call it in my life, but, uh, I like to be able to do the same thing, you know, because people saw something in me. I just have this passion to see greatness in others, whether they see it in themselves or not, or whether others see it in themselves and just pull that greatness out. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's not life. It's not about me making myself great and making myself better. Uh, it's about me making other people better. And that's something that I learned all, even more. So more in theory, um, during my master's program, I read this book called uh, The Leadership Engine by Titchy. And he talks about, you know, great leaders. What they do is they create other leaders. Um, they don't just try to build themselves and in the process of creating other leaders, they just naturally become better as a leader. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but my inspiration is just to really see people, especially those who have been outcasted, uh, especially those that have been written up by society. Uh, as a matter of fact, the last weekend I was in prison, I was in a, a prison in Denver speaking with inmates and I was in um, a, a women's five uh, level five maximum security prison sharing life with them. And, and, and so my passion is just to reach people wherever they are, uh, especially those who have been outcasted. Wow. Was that in Colorado? Was that Florence, Colorado, where you were? Uh, right. Yeah, I was in, well, the men's prison was in Cannon City, Colorado. And oh, Cannon City. Prison, okay. But yeah, women's prison was in, Denver, was in Denver, Colorado. Wow. Uh, so tell me, I ask all of my guests this, uh, what mm -hmm. do you do to stay creative and productive. Okay. You've got two young sons. You've got a lovely yeah. wife. You've got a busy, busy life. How yeah. do you unplug recharge Remy? 
wow, a few things. One, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my faith is a big part of who I am. So I try to start my morning every morning by, you know, praying, spending time in prayer, spending time reading the Bible. That helps to, to kind of keep me grounded and keep me focused on what my mission in life is. And just a, as a reminder for me that life is not about me anymore. It's about the people that I can help and reach. So that's how I start my day. That helps me tremendously. Um, uh, working out is huge for me. Fitness is a big part of my life. I mean, <laughs> it started when I started training for SEAL training and, and it never ended. Uh, so just getting to the gym and just, you know, running or, or just doing some gnarly workouts to get my heart rate up. And, and, and that, that's what really helps to recharge me. And, and I like, I love watching films uh, when I have the time to, I don't have as much time as I used to, but watching film and, and listening to uh, different talks on YouTube recharges me and helps me. And my family life, like my kids, like I tell people all the time, like people ask me, so who's the, who's your favorite celebrity? Who's the greatest celebrity you ever meet, met? And my answer is always my kids. Like my kids, I look at my kids as like celebrities in my life because every time I get a chance to see them, I just light up. So, um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to jump off this call and go pick them up from school. But yeah, it's just my kids. My kids are, are what recharges me. They, they, they're what, you know, galvanized me to work harder and to, and to, to, to be a better man so that I could provide a better life for them. Because my father, when he died, he didn't leave us anything. Um, and so I want to make sure that, that, that I'm leaving my kids something every single day. Um, um, so that, you know, moving forward, they'll always remember that. That's Remy Adeleke, just, just a great guy and an amazing person, just what he's been able to accomplish in his life. And like I said uh, before we started our chat, just the different iterations of Remy. And we expect more big things of him. In fact, his book is coming out. Uh, it'll be out officially January 2019. However, they released the cover of the book over the summer. It's called uh, Transformed, A Navy SEAL's Unlikely Journey from the Throne of Africa to the Streets of the Bronx to Defying All Odds. And you can get it on pre-order right now, either uh, the hard copy book or the audio version. Um, just just Google him, Remy Adeleke, R-E-M-I-A-D-E-L-E-K-E. And you can follow him also on uh, Instagram. He's most active there, but he also is on Twitter and Facebook as well. Remy Adeleke. So we thank him so much for his time. Uh, before I let you go, I want to tell you quickly about New Age Designs. Uh, they're web designers with development, purpose, ambition, analytics. If you need digital marketing, you need design, SEO, SEM, Google Analytics setup, they can do that. They will get you all set up with web hosting. They know all the key technologies. The New Age Design staff has spent decades managing various UX and web marketing projects for large corporations, giving them the opportunity to work with the most talented agencies in the world. They can help you out. Check them out, newagedesigns.com. When you reach out, uh, let them know you heard about them here. A fresh agenda. They'll take great care of you. And reach out to me anytime you'd like. The best way to reach me is to go through my website, christinamendonza.com. That's Christina with no H, Mendonca with no Z, .com. And you can connect with me there or on any of my social platforms as well. A lot of good guests upcoming. Uh, just have to work with their people and my people to get the right dates to do all these different interviews. But uh, again, just love doing this podcast. And thank you for listening. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Love to hear from you. And let's stay connected. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.